Hey, what's up, everybody? I got Joe Conley, Director of Performance at Arizona State, Head Strength Coach, titles, titles, titles. I'm super stoked to have him on. Joe and I go really far back, all the way back to, I think I preceded you at Harvard, and then you took the reins as uh, the best intern in Harvard history and beat me out. Um, but my my title was tainted because I, I had a very, very favorably good class of interns that I could just outdo every step of the way. So if uh, my counterpart's listening to this, which I doubt he is, uh, you know, I won that intern battle and then Joe basically took the reins because essentially Fitz hired you everywhere he went or at least got you set up. And I think that's the ultimate true test, right? You were the best intern in Harvard history and I have to come in at maybe a not too close second, but yeah, it's fired up, man. Thank you for being on. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time. No, man. Um, you know, I don't know if I can hang on to that, that title. I, I think, um, you and I both know, I think Harvard puts out some of the best interns, you know, with Tim Mullen, you know, our, our, our dear friend, the Mullinator, uh, running, you know, running the show up there with the intern program. You know, there's been so many really, really quality strength coaches that came out of there. And if you're going to learn how to coach on your feet, 42 varsity sports and one weight room is a good way to do it. Yeah. It's funny. Uh, I remember I interned at Georgia tech right afterwards. So just a completely polar opposite. And when I was interning, Tim was faced with, I have two, three teams in at one given time. And he's like, this is me saying, I trust you. You're going to be with this team by yourself. And like, can you write the program? But like, I need you to be good with running this team because I have two teams at the same time and I have no way to not do this. So you get a great opportunity to like lead and, and like, you get this like weird feeling of, all right, I got to go over today's workout and then I got to like organize the racks and then I got to make sure everyone's doing what they're supposed to be doing and just not trying to screw it up. And then you go to Georgia tech and it's like, just stand here and try not to get in the way, uh, which was like complete opposite. Right. But I had this confidence in me knowing when I was at Georgia tech, when I do get the opportunity to coach, I've had more reps than anybody else. That's just an intern. And when I did, obviously I was able to run with it, but that was because of Harvard, right? Like the trust that Tim Owen and, and Fitz and, time Dan Perlmutter put in you know, like hey this is something you need to be really good at because we need your help and then you go to a place like Georgia Tech I'm sure situations like you going to Louisville and in South Carolina like yeah I'm, I'm game ready man I'm just such better prepared for that so if you want to be a good coach go to an Ivy League school because quite frankly they're they're going to be an incubator for your development but it's a good segue man because one of the uh the one of the the big topic I wanted to talk to you about today was progression and why I think it's a good segue is because I think it's a, it's a systems thing. And when you're at Harvard and you have 42 sports and literally almost a thousand athletes with three strength coaches, you need to have a really dialed in system from A to B from your fall sports and training in the off season and your spring sports training in the fall or their off season. And you need to have, okay, this is our plan. We need to go from this to this to be able to get all of our athletes through this almost pipeline like or assembly line like format. And you know, when you start, like what's a good foundational program all the way to going into season. And now we have the luxury of working with less athletes and football, but same like structures there of like, if I was going to fractal this out or scale this out to a thousand people, how would I make it through? So the area that I really want to talk to you about is this idea of progression from, Hey, we have overloaded number of athletes to hundred, still a big number, but it's a lot more manageable than a thousand, you know, and kind of get into that. So First thought is, you know, when you're looking at your off season with football and let's say that you're going a multi-level program, let's say that you're going inside, outside the box, all the nuances of what you're doing, what is the big 10,000 foot view of I'm starting here and I want to be eventually at this when we go into maybe spring ball or our preseason? I think really, you know, for us, we, and I know it happens a lot in, in our profession, but we tear everything up every year and start over. And what the athlete needs based on our ex expertise sort of dictates what we program. One of the things I, I always tell recruits and coaches is what, what the athlete needs dictates the program. And, you know, you got to kind of explain that, like, no, it's not, it's not what they want to do or, or what they think they should do. It's based on our expertise, what, what they actually need to do. And that's sort of the start of it. Right. So like, for example, if you have a, a younger team, you probably wouldn't train them the same as if you had a, a veteran team in, in, in our realm in, in college football. 
if you've been training somebody for four or five years, you're not going to train in the same way as if you've only known them for a month or so. And the great thing about, you know, for, for, for me and in my situation in college athletics is you get all that. So your program has to kind of mirror, mirror that. And your system has to be in place where all those athletes can get the physiological adaptation you're trying to elicit at a given time, maybe at the same time, but it's a different adaptation over the course of their career, whether it's two, three, four, five, six, seven years to get the job done in a progressive fashion, right? So the way I look at it is, you know, when we originally talked about this and you were like, let's talk progression, I'm like, well, shoot, man, there's everything's progression, right? Like everything that we do is progress. It, it ought to be, you know, from exercise selection to loading and volume intensities from athletic, you know, your, your acceleration, your deceleration, your change of direction, it's all progression. You have physiological progression. You have psychological progression. You have technical and tactical progression. You have recovery progression, or you should nutritional progression, supplementation progression, I mean, you could write a book about progression and a lot of people have, and it would be a really long book because the foundation of our job is using progressions. And the reason for that is that's what drives adaptation. You and I both know if you you do the same program for four years, you're going to see a lot of improvement the first year, some the second year, but not as much. The third year, you might see a little bit or they stay the same. And the fourth year, they could actually get worse. And when you talk progression – Progression and adaptation go hand in hand. And the other thing that goes hand in hand with progression is regression because you also have to do that all the time. It's in everything. It's thought about constantly in all the different realms that we sort of are in charge of. I feel like, you know, younger athletes have a little bit better of an idea or excuse me, younger coaches have a little bit better of an idea than than maybe they used to about it, but they don't understand the nuances of the flow of progression they don't maybe know, you know, the subtlety of it sometimes or the dramaticness of it sometimes. I don't even know if that's a word, dramaticness. It's certainly, it has to be there in some way, shape or form over the course of any athlete's career and in a, in a, in a strength coach's program. Uh, I mean, we always talk about the dramatic, dramaticness scale of an athlete's program is what determines ultimately their ceiling. Um, <laughs> uh, so, you know, honestly, there was a there was a point in there as you were talking about, you know, the tactical and the technical. And, you know, as you were talking, it automatically just started ringing a bell in my head about when I was in your shoes in a long, long time ago. The, the guys you get in early that are going to play right away. and I always struggle with that thought because you get them in in July-ish and you you probably have a pretty good feel like this person's going to either play right away. And for the folks that don't know, there's there's a lot of backdoor conversations about like your son's going to get a lot of opportunities to play right away and we're going to give him every chance to do that. And that's automatically impressed upon you as a strength coach when they arrive in August like or July, like in the off season, or if they're early enrollee too, like, there's this emphasis off of, okay, now they're kind of moving into this varsity threshold, like of training. And like, you know, the, you got July and we call it the, we used to call it the D recruitment period. Cause basically we're just like, you know, being super nice to you. And then you get there and it's like, all that's thrown out. You're stuck here at least for a period of time. And we kind of get you just assimilated to our environment. And then when it comes to preseason camp, they get a lot of reps. Cause we used to always talk about at USC. It's like, every guy coming into this has a chance to be a starter and that's just fair to them as well as it makes the the older older guys a little bit more hungry to keep their spot or maybe go out there and earn their spot but then you get in the end season and they're right into this like practicing 24 periods and getting a lot of reps and training maybe one two times a week at a good lift kind of perspective and then all of a sudden you get to January and you almost have to start from scratch from what you wanted to get it done in July, where it's a lot of these incoming freshmen, you're really thinking like, all right, July is just step one all the way through till we get to, you know, like January. And then it starts a real training process and you kind of lose this big window, but you're behind the eight ball in a lot of areas. So I guess my question to you would be is, 
you know, the progression is getting them on the field and hopefully they don't get hurt year one. But the huge part of that is the things that we're doing from a development standpoint. And when you're looking at those guys, relatively speaking to a project guy that we're going to slow play this and he's probably going to redshirt, you know, what's your mindset from a progression standpoint off of July and going, knowing that he's going to practice a ton in August and play 12 games, maybe even more if you go to a bowl game or a championship game. Like what, what is the, the thought process there? Is that a, is that something that you think about? Is that something that you incur a lot? Like what, what is your plan of attack on that one? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's obviously pretty prevalent in, in college football, the sort of late enrollee freshman that is super talented in the sport, but probably uh, pretty underdeveloped in the realm of general work capacity, deceleration, whatever it may be. Right. So for us, it, it has a lot to do. Like we, we focus a lot on, on sort of assessment, you know, in that regard early to sort of sift through a lot of the different physiological adaptations that we could potentially, you know, go after to find the sort of the big rocks in that regard for individuals like that. And, and you're right. I think, you know, more often than not, you know, which young men are going to be in that boat versus the slow cook boat, right? The, the red shirt or the developmental boat, you know, ultimately, I don't really change my mentality in regards to trying to rush anything because I don't think that's a good move either uh, from a long-term development perspective. Uh, but I sort of program in a way that attacks the biggest weakness, right, or, or whatever it is for, for some of those individuals. And what I've seen over the years is oftentimes it's pretty similar um, with a lot of those, you know, 17-year-olds that get into the program or 18-year-olds that come into the program, there's there's a lot of similar similarities between, regardless of position, what they sort of need from a programming perspective. So that's the basis for a lot of our developmental program, uh, whether it be movement or just understanding where they are in space, you know, deceleration, th- those sort of things that, you know, a lot of them need. Uh, and then you can, you can sort of parse that off. And if an individual does need something even more specific, then we'll do that as well. So if, you know, for example, I would have trained Jadavian Clowney differently now than we probably did back in the day, because number one, I have more information, right? I, I have ability to kind of find out beforehand with, you know, force plates and Nord boards and velocity based, all the different, you know, strive, all the different things we use, but his program would have been completely different in my opinion now than it would have been then because he was such a great accelerator. Right. And it's not a lot different for some of those high caliber players now, you know, it, 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 those, those big ticket things that we know are going to be issues and become issues down the road you focus more on that and whether it's in June and July and August and during the in season, to me, it doesn't really quite matter because those big ticket things are, they're so much more important than some of the other things, you know, as far as like, you know, power or different types of strength or hypertrophy, things like that. Initially, now I'm not saying those things aren't important later. Of course they are, but initially to make sure that that athlete's healthy and available for the long term, you know, you can can write a completely separate program for that that person now. You know, again, when you're talking to, I just feel back way back when when gray shirts were a thing, and and uh, you could bring in 50 guys every single year. Like, you know, there's these massive overhauls in rosters, right? Like, I remember Saban's first year, or Jimbo Fisher's first year at Florida State. There was this like complete approach of like. 50% of our roster is going to be different next year. Like, and we're going to start with guys who we're going to be able to play right away. And that's a huge transition for that strength staff, right? So if you were inherited or you were, you had the opportunity to stay on and transition with the new regime, like all the people that you've been developing for the last three years are almost like, Hey, find a new place to play or just watch the other young guys come in. Cause we're starting from then. Cause we've got a three year window to get this thing turned around. 
And the guys who are going to be good in three years are going to get the opportunity to play. And that first year is kind of a mulligan. And from a training perspective, you know, it's not like you're prioritizing one versus the other. Everyone that comes in our room is special and unique and important to us. But as a whole, like, you know, their, their progression is kind of amplified and you have to really manage the psychological aspect of like, you did bust your ass and you did everything we asked you to do just circumstantially. Like we have to now prioritize these next wave of people coming in, but it goes into this next thing. And again, like if I knew what I know now, what I would have been back when, but you know, I've talked to a lot of folks and I find this is a common thread with modern day athletics is with transfer portal and just the, there's nothing like a guarantee for more one, one year to the next. And I'm not saying that's good or bad, just it's a different world now. And, you know, working with a lot of other like coaches in the NFL and NBA and even major league baseball, it's like rosters are just changing rapidly and you have to adjust. And one of the things that was a great conversation I had not too long back with Eric Schmidt with the Memphis Grizzlies was like, I have to utilize things like machines that I never thought were value because I get people who can't even do a bodyweight squat and I need to get them lean muscle mass or I need to get them maybe coming off a return to play program that they are completely detrained and atrophied and I need to do something quick that's not going to pretty much crush your CNS while they're playing 82 games and practicing every other day. So we have these freshmen that, you know, that corner that's 150 pounds soaking wet that you're like, I just need to add cross-sectional muscle area to this kid because he's playing with grown men. He's athletic. He's got the twitch. He's got all the right things. But if I can add 10 pounds to that frame, he's going to be that much more resilient. And a machine at one point in my career was like the most taboo thing you could possibly imagine. But now I look at it full circle, like it's actually probably the best tool for the job. And if you have a place like where you're at, like you have a lot of good resources where you can maybe get a couple of those things and give up a little bit of floor space for it. Great. And the rest of us kind of like working in these like weight rooms where we're trying to just get the most from a little with a ton of athletes, like maybe not the best option, but I guess that's my next series of questions is like, now where you're at and you got a premier team and you got a department that's committed to developing athletes at the highest level, you know, do you look objectively at like, here's my job is to develop these physical capabilities. I want to look more at a, a more well-rounded approach from a testing perspective. You mentioned a couple of things like Forstec and Nordboard, um, Strive and VBT. Maybe you look, look at it the other end of maybe just specific isolated exercises like a glued ham or a Nordic hamstring curl or like even machine. Like, do you look now at the tools that you have and what, what you need a little bit differently than you did when you had like a situation at Harvard? Like, how do you approach that process? You know, certainly you touched on our situation in particular, right? You know, this will be my sixth season here. And um, when I got here, it was a new coach. And this year we're, we're going through a similar situation where, you know, the sort of two rounds of roster turnover. And then the other thing that was kind of in the middle of that was the start of the transfer portal, right? And so, you know, for us, a lot of our best players that we spent, you know, two or three years developing into who they ultimately are now left, right? They left because, you know, of money. And uh, it wasn't necessarily any other reason. And, you know, on the other end of that, that was like, a, a, a tough pill to swallow too, because, you know, you invest so much time and you spend so much time and then ultimately they, they walk out the door for, you know, a few bucks and it's like, you know, that, that's, that sucks. You know, that, that, that's a hard thing to do. But on the other end of that, you have transfer portal athletes coming in to your program that you need to get to know. And so, you know, for us, I, I think, you know, some of the different tools that we have are, are really invaluable to kind of get a head start on your programming and your progression and to be able to sort of input somebody into your system in the right spot. So really ultimately, regardless of whether they're coming into your program or leaving your program now with the technology and the different things we have, we have the ability to sort of input the athletes in the right spot within the program, within the system and, it takes the guesswork out of, you know, like the old days, like we were talking about, you know, it allows us to create the adaptation we want to get safely and effectively and without sort of either jumping ahead and accelerating somebody too fast or, or maybe, or maybe not doing 
things fast enough. I think the process of, I think we all face this in our career of, and this is a progression career wise of things change and the ability to evolve and adapt to the ever changing environments really determines whether you're going to last in that environment, right? It's like a Darwinian approach of it's not the strongest that survive, it's the most willing to adapt that live and survive in ever-changing systems and ecosystems. So that goes into the next line of questions of like, I think what is really more transparent is now you have to be a better salesperson for your program, right? Because you're fighting to get people coming in of, into your environment of here's ASU's way and here's here's how this is going to help you become the best possible athlete as well as on the other end like you could leave for more money but your chest best chance to play at the next level and have a very long career which might be more profitable it's probably better served here in our system from a performance as well as from a player load management as well as from a system in a in tactical perspective like do you find now like progression now as a sales ta- tactic for you where you're talking to your athletes and new athletes yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, ultimately, if you have a good product, right, regardless of what the product is, and you're confident in your product, and the the sale is is the easy part, right? The, the why that you present allows your athletes to buy into whatever, whatever you're selling, you know, we feel that way about about our system and our, and our process and our developmental criteria over the course of a a long-term career and that allows you to recruit that's that's part of our you know you you get the weekend you know recruiting weekend sales pitches that you do uh you know twice a day every day for however long and it's all the truth right like ultimately i wouldn't feel comfortable saying something that i didn't believe and our program utilizing progression all, all, all the different things that we do are are the sales pitch, in my opinion. And if it doesn't come from me, let it come from our our players because they're they're the ones actually doing the program. You know, it, it's funny we had a recruit, and I won't mention the other the other institution, but we had a recruit that went to a recruiting visit at the other institution, came to our institution, and it was the same pitch, right? It was the same long-term development pitch and he actually went to the other institution right and then a year and a half later he came back and transferred back to ASU and he said that they said all the the right things but they didn't actually execute what they said you know so there's that part of it too right like it I'm not going to sugarcoat it I'm not going to why it, it is what it is and it takes time and it takes effort and you know all the different things that, that go into that but it, it, it's it's part of the process for 16 to 18 year old making a decision right so they have to, they have to trust you well i think it goes into this level of there's so many strength conditioning coaches that are are playing a day-to-day and i think having the confidence to say like i have a plan here i see this playing out in a year's timeline or three to four year timeline like this. And if I got you for a year, here's how I'm going to approach that problem set. And if I got you for four years, here are how I approach that problem set. And for that athlete, that should matter, right? Because it's so easily like, well, they could leave in six months anyway. So what's the point? Like that is not in their best interest. And you fall into this I don't know, gimmicky, very like fluff based programming. And the athlete, it may like in a short term go, damn, that was crazy. That was nuts. That was a, like an inc- incredible experience. And then the next day it's deflating because they're trying to conjure up that enthusiasm again without any really substance. And then when you evaluate from a debrief of like, did I actually make any net improvement? Probably we're no better off. Right. And it's like, I always analogize it to like, when I talk to my financial planner and we have a game plan for investment and he's like, Hey, I'm going to be straight up with you. Like IRAs suck right now. We're probably not going to make a lot of money. So you might want to hold off with contributing until this period. I'm like, okay, like that's, that makes sense. I mean, it's a good game plan. It's honest, but he could lie to me and say, yeah, just keep dumping money into it. And then maybe I'll diversify that into other things that could make money, maybe in a, in a very misleading way or, 
uh, legal way, or you can just say, hey, look, it's going to take a loss for a while, so maybe you don't contribute for a while. And like, I think it's the same thing with strength coaches. Like, yeah, we don't have a really good thing here. You're going into your fifth year of college football, and development-wise, it probably is what it is. So we just got to make sure that you can play 12 games and put out good film. Or I got you coming here, and you're 17 years old, and you're a sponge, and the sky's the limit if you stay here for three to four years. It's just this, like, being very – like, just telling them how it is. And for them, the consumer of this and buying what you're selling of – is that what you're looking for? And if it is, and probably the best place for you. And uh, I think that process from a strength conditioning is where we really need to be like looking towards the future. In my setting too, now I work in sales every day. And the people are buying what I'm selling. They'll tell me if it's not good or they don't value that based on them not buying it. For you, it's, you're fighting for maybe potentially guys who can get you an extra two to three wins every year and keep your job for another couple of years. And it's, it's an amazing, amazing continuum, but it's the same root facts. But I guess in that light too, of like, you know, now you have a little bit more information to present to them with all of this compelling and interesting data. So, you know, let's go put your recruiting hat on here and you're going to me and I'm like, all right, I'm a four-year guy, four-year guy at another institution. I'm trying to get a fifth year, get some good film out there. You know, how are you convincing me that I'm going to make that great transformative leap into becoming maybe a first day draft pick? I mean, sure. I mean, to your previous sort of example, I think that more often than not, we've still had really quality development, even in an older athlete that that comes into our program. And whether that is change of stimulus, you know, I'm certainly not blaming another program. I'm just, we've seen a lot of development with more veteran, whether it be grad transfer or, you know, juniors that get in the portal or whatever, we've seen really good development. So I utilize those examples often, both visual through our player profiles. And then, you know, when we're having conversations, uh, oftentimes I'll get you know, the, the, those individuals down and, and have them sort of do do the talking for me, you know, whether it's a, somebody that just transferred in and has only been here six months and they're, you know, seeing crazy changes, both from a body composition perspective and a, a force output perspective. Ultimately, it, it's showing them all the tools we have, showing them how we use those tools on a day-to-day basis and what those tools sort of drive for us from a, whether it be practice planning or, or periodization or, you know, sets and reps or which block or, or whatever it is, the athlete gets an idea, a little snippet of what the potential could be. And I think that, you know, that goes a long way. And ultimately too, I think this generation is sort of wired for instant feedback, uh, which I think is, you know, part of that technology piece as well as we're, we're capable of giving them instantaneous feedback in a lot of, a lot of different avenues, whether it be, you know, max velocity or yardage or deceleration or acceleration or, you know, body composition, force production, uh, posterior chain strength, muscular activation, whatever, whatever it may be, we can get sort of in the moment data that, that allows our athletes to see progress at a much faster rate than maybe we used to. You know, and that's, I think that's the cool part. It's me seeing your progression too as a strength conditioning coach and now looking at it and having these cool conversations about, yeah, this is invaluable tools. I mean, I guess same with me, right? Like I've, I remember joking about an Army West point. I don't believe in timing. I believe in, I don't believe in being timed. I believe in timing. Like, and I never would use VBT. I've come way, I've come full circle and back again on that because it was just, it was a naive thought. It was it was ignorance on my part. I didn't really understand the true power of that tool from a feedback perspective. But you know, I think it also too is this like process of maybe I was afraid of change and I didn't want that thing to basically supplement me as a strength coach and figuring out what my role would be with this instantaneous feedback machines all over the place. You know, and you remember the old the old adage of like I remember when you know people were coming out with different velocity-based training tools and the, the argument and the conversations were like, well, it's going to take the place of a strength coach, right. Or, or whatever it may be. 
I, I am always a skeptic of technology. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't try it. I try everything and we sort of analyze everything and research everything and talk to different folks around the country that are that are using certain devices and different tools. Hey, what's the pros? What's the con? You know, and then I usually give it some time. And then if that particular device that gives us whatever metric fits within our system, then I'll use that, use that, you know, metric and that, that system and see how, see what some of the results are before kind of jumping full sail into, into one camp or another, you know, because you and I both know that this progression is like, or this profession is like, you know, it's like fashion, right? Like bell bottoms are in, they're out, they're in, they're out. Like it's, it's the same thing with us. And I think technology is similar in that regard. A lot of the technologies have been around for a long, long time. Does the software align with how your system works? Does the, the nuance of programming align with some of the things that you typically do? Does it fit within your system? Is it, you know, able to be utilized within athletic training realm, within the strength and conditioning realm? Can you put nutrition data? Like what, you know, what are we looking at and how does it fit within your system? Yeah. And that's that process of how does it fit is one that I think now more so than ever has become probably the biggest problem set that we face. Cause I think we all will like strive to do the best possible job we can. But it goes into this next level. What is the actual opportunity cost for some of this stuff, right? Like, you know, like, well, all right, I want to implement this new piece of hardware. Okay, well, one, how am I going to get that data in a training session sort of jam-packed? How am I going to train my staff to run this so they can be competent when they're out there on the floor? And then afterwards, it's like, what do I do with now a huge set of numbers that might make no sense for a long period of time until it does? And then what does that mean, relatively speaking, everything else they could or should be doing in that? And like that process, as we start to look forward in the future, like even just transferring from one piece of hardware, VBT to another, like that's, it's a big deal. It's a lot of things that go into that. Like I got to maybe buy a bunch of stuff and it might come at the sake of some other expenses I should be putting towards. I got to train my staff on it and you have to have these like webinars and you have to talk to the sales reps and they got to come in like, well, that's how you set it up and all this stuff. And you're like, I don't even know if this is worth the time anymore. Like, and I just go back to Tendo and just have this thing that says it was 0.45 and that's good enough for me. And like, just keep moving forward. Right. Like that was fast or slow. Like that's going to make the decision for the rest of the day, but that'll be a really cool conversation maybe down the road. So I want to take this home because I, I think there's, I think it's honestly like, this is the fun part about these conversations for me, Joe. It's like just being real and like, if I was going to look at PH podcast as like anything, it's it's by people who are doing the job for people who are doing the job, right? Like I think there is a big problem in strength conditioning education off of like speaking hypotheticals and people talking secondhand about what they would do if they were in your eyes shoes. And it's all well and good, but it might make me feel insecure and inadequate because I can't do these expansive level protocols or do these amazing things that people are trying to get us to do. But then you think about in the back of your head, like, oh, that's right. They don't work with athletes. They're just talking about what they would if they did, you know? And for this conversation to progress from what it started off to now, I think that's just screaming off the, the podcast of like, this is people who are doing this and these are the problems we're incurring. And these are the things that are real to us and progressions. Yeah. It's logical. It makes sense. But progression now has a different, context and condition with I work with a very ever-changing environment that I wasn't used to seven years ago and now I have to adapt to that so I want to like take this home with like you know like the idea of progression and looking through this really cool I think opportunity because I think it's just growth is good and depending on what phase of your life and you know like necessity is the mother of all invention kind of dynamic but when you're looking at progression you know, as a whole. And, you know, you have like the best case scenario where, you know, you have an athlete four years and they're just going to drink a Kool-Aid and they're never going to go anywhere. Like what would be your sign of a, like, all right, four years of good training. This athlete's been with me from day one. 
I'm super proud of the end result of like, maybe it's, they can do these milestone things in terms of the weight room, or they're able to do these like style of programming, like very short micro cycle or like meso cycles or certain exercises. Like, damn, we got this guy can do all variations, Olympic lifts or all plyos. And, you know, is there something at the end of like a four year cycle? You're like, we did it. Like we, we did a great job here, you know, like, and you can say I did what I was supposed to do. It depends. (laughs) (laughs) I love that question, but there there's a thousand variables that it depends on, right? Like, you know, that it, it ultimately when an athlete leaves our program, they should be able to do all Olympic lifts and be proficient in all Olympic lifts. Right. So yes. Do they continually improve throughout their career in a multitude of metrics? Yeah, they need to do that, right? Is there ever a a stalemate in improvement? No, there shouldn't be. Um, Are they healthy? Do they move well? Uh, Are they able to endure a multitude of different physiological, you know, conditions throughout an offseason? Yes. Uh, are Are they mentally, you know, stronger than they were has their body composition changed have they gained muscle and lost fat do they you know understand supplementation do they understand recovery and rehab are are they a pro right that the single probably most prevalent question i get from scouts about our guys is is he a pro well you know i i, I look at that scout and i go well, what do you mean by that right like what's your definition of pro well he, he's got to be, yeah, that those are all things that they, they need to be and understand. And it's all encompassing, right? Like, I don't think somebody that doesn't do this for a living understands everything that goes into it. And then all the different balls that are being juggled at any time that, could potentially be super beneficial or super disastrous at any point in time, depending on timing, depending on the sleep they got last night, depending on if they broke up with their girlfriend, depending on if they get a little lax at the bottom of a squat. I mean, just anything, all the little details are are just so important and I know that was a long winded, more of a tangent than anything, but, there's so many variables that go into answering that question. You could do a podcast on that question alone, in my opinion. You know, it's amazing. And I, I, I guess as I, when you ask the question, you think about how you would answer it as well. And, you know, you look at it from the dynamic of how do you define a good job versus the bad job? And like, yeah, I could say they're stronger, they're faster, they're, they're more capable. But the truth is, is, and I'm in the other end of it now. So I get, your guys when they're done playing and they move to LA and they go, I just want to continue training. And I like my college experience. And I look at it from the context, if I ever train someone and they have to go somewhere else, could they be self-sufficient? Could they be responsible with how they approach the weight room of like not being a hero, not being someone that is ego lifting and like, have an environment where someone's like, I can do this for the rest of my life safely and efficiently. Uh, and like, I think that's a pretty good, like check the box. Like, and I feel confident that, you know, the guys that had like, even to the point of like, you know, the guys that had an army would go off and do CrossFit. And I'm like, you're probably better, better off than anyone else out there because you went through four years of really good training you're going to be fine. Like I'm not as worried about you as opposed to the person that doesn't have these good foundational habits and infrastructure of approaching something. You have no idea what, what that is. I've never done that exercise or I've never done the set rep scheme. I've never done this setup. So I'm going to be a little bit more pragmatic and maybe I go out a little bit more conservatively because I've been on the other end and I got destroyed or crushed because I was not that way. And like just having that foresight and that perspective of, training is a process. And if you're not familiar with it, you know, you need to be very conservative as well as you are familiar with it. Like don't waste your time, man. You got to go for it a little bit and you got to push and like just having that mental bandwidth and being like self-reliant too is so important as well. I think you're right on the money. And I like that sort of thought process in that if you took any one of, you know, our guys, I feel like if they went somewhere else, they would be able to do 
every exercise that's thrown at them, you know, we're, and we're talking obviously people that have been in the program, you know, for a long time, any exercise, any rep range, any load parameters, any volumes, any intensities. And, and as a, as a coach, not being like confined to one sort of, I don't know if it's a philosophy or, or just a mindset, like be, be open to be able to do anything. I've been super fortunate, right? I've never been with a head coach that micromanages the weight room. And what that's allowed me to do is over the course of my career to not be afraid to take chances on different things, trying new exercises to elicit a response, trying new rep ranges or, or, or progressions in, and I've also never had to like, you know, he has to clean more this time than, you know, than last time, right? Like, well, what if we used a hand clean instead of a, a Olympic clean or, or a power clean instead of a, a Olympic clean? Like if I was working for a head coach that said, oh, they have to clean more, then you wouldn't be able to use as many variations because you're stuck with that one variation. And then you just got to kind of keep repeating it over and over again and then inflate numbers because you want to keep your job. I, I've never had to do that. And the other thing you touched on, and I think is really important is that I always try to ask every athletic director that I ever have worked with or has overseen sports performance. I always ask them, how am I rated? How am I ranked? How am I measured? Like what, how, how do you measure what I do? And the myriad of answers that I've received is, is crazy. Like everything from, well, do the guys like it or not? Are, are they continuing to improve? And I'm like, okay, well in what, you know, it, are you looking at specific metrics? No. Are you talking numbers? I don't know. So I feel like was sports performance maybe more than anything else. It's this sort of unknown, right, in regards to sort of how you're ranked. And a lot of times it has absolutely nothing to do with you. No. It has everything to do with recruiting and what the head coach says about you. And that, that's the perception that becomes reality. And I think going into this profession, that's something that I try to certainly educate our interns on and some young coaches. Like sometimes you can do everything right and still get fired and still still be wrong. It's super interesting, the, the, the dynamics that, that we work in. I mean, I went from working for one of the oldest head coaches in the country to the youngest head coach in the country. And it's been, honestly, it's been a breath of fresh air for me because, and I think it's trending this way. And, you know, we had a lot of discussion about technology and information and data and then using, actually utilizing that data to drive progressions, not only in the weight room, but maybe during individual or during practice, driving intensities and workload in practice and actually making like thoughtful scientific changes that aren't just intuition in, you know, the progression of practice. So I couldn't be more excited about that piece personally, but everybody doesn't have that situation. You know, everybody doesn't have that. If you go work for, you know, Nick Saban, it's probably not going to be that way. You're probably going to do what he wants to do. And, and, you know, I don't know, I don't know the answer to that specifically, but it's, uh, Everywhere is different. And if you can't adapt and change and be okay with it and kind of have an answer ready to go, then you're, you're going to be in trouble. Yeah. And uh, I think there's another really great conversation to be had about, I'm assuming this is the longest tenure you've ever been at one job, right? I was at South Carolina for seven years. So this will be my sixth year here. Oh, wow. Okay. So, I mean, you have now probably one of the unique aspects in strength conditioning of seeing the full life cycle of, of an athlete, right? And not many people do reach that threshold, which is cool. It's interesting. And hopefully buy it a little bit more time and you can surpass that seven year mark, which is, 
your experience at UMass and a lot of your short-term stints other places, like, yeah, that's kind of like the norm of like, go in, try to make a big impact. Hopefully you're there long enough to survive another year if if not get another job. And like, when you get to this six-year threshold, it's, you know, you have to evolve within that institution versus you go to a new place, you evolve to that new place organically. And I think there's an element of, of change is, is really interesting off of like, I have to adapt to this new environment because what I did in the previous place wasn't successful or it doesn't work here versus now it's like, you got to find out creative ways to change to one, like make necessary changes to improve. But two, is it just actually trying to just keep it interesting? And is it actually necessary? And like, what's continuity at the sake of, complacency versus what's the actual like necessary changes to improve upon the things that we weren't as good upon last year. And like, that's, that's a fun conversation to have as well, which I guess is progression in itself too, you know? I I think um, for me with this most recent coaching change, you know, I didn't know what was going to happen. And well, ultimately when we were fortunate enough to stick around My mindset was like I moved out of my office and then moved back into my office Mm. because it was a new job. It was it was the same place, but it was a completely new job. And anything that we knew is gone. And now we have and, and I had a lot of discussions with my staff about that. I'm like, you guys, nothing that we've done in the past doesn't matter. Everything can change. And you have to be ready to do that at any given moment or else it's not going to work. So don't, don't feel bad. It's just, it is what it is. And that if we want to move forward in a positive way, we have to do that. And um, so far it's, it's gone really well, you know, but that, that was my mindset. Like I, I parked in a different spot. I used to park in one spot. Now I park in another spot. I have a, you know, I changed lockers. Like I just, everything was different for me because I feel like mentally I had to sort of go through that because it was different. Yeah. And I think it's so easy to fall into this, the way we've always done it. So I don't want to hear what you did previously. No, no one cares. Yeah. And quite frankly too, it actually might work against you if you are like stuck in the past, because it's going to feel like you resent the fact that you're working with new people. Like you have to embrace this new opportunity hundred percent, which is a great survival strategy as well as like a great optimizing like thing. Like you have to take this approach and you said it like every single year at the beginning of the off season, we just start from scorched earth. It's yeah. Tear the page, um, which is great, man. Um, So Joe, man, I just, honestly, this was cool, fun. Like I want to catch up and connect, but like, this is like really why, like I, I can, you can tell like now you've been a head strength coach for over man, what 14, 15 years in some capacity. No, not quite that long. So 2000 and of 2011, 2012. Damn over a decade though, over a decade, right? Like you can tell like that's, that is, and no one knows how to be a head strength coach until they're a head strength coach. And then, and then it's all on the job training. And the reason why you got over a decade is because of this, like you were able to, approach each year differently and a and a a better person for it where the ones that kind of stick in their ways of like i've arrived i am who i am like probably not gonna be a head strength coach very long which is great man i am so stoked for you and this opportunity you have in front of you and everything else that you got going on in your life man no i appreciate you tim you've always been a, a friend and a resource and um you're by far the best intern to ever come out of Harvard. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think the ultimate indicator is uh, is going back and see if people care. You know, the fact that you had the wherewithal to do what you did, I can respect it more. In that you got out when you wanted to get out, and you changed your entire everything, and you've done it in such short time, and you've been able to be successful doing it it's like uh, I have so much respect for you in 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 that regard I I don't think people realize you know how much work you did to get to where you are kind of on two different realms right in in the collegiate sector to get to a super high level and then now at the private sector to be at that 
super high level is, you know, that's, that's a testament to you and, and how freaking smart you are and, and uh, how hard you work. Thank you, man. You know, it's, it's funny. Like I would say the beginnings of both are extremely similar. Like where as an intern, no one gives a shit about you. Like you are nothing like, and they don't care. You can come and go like your free work and you know, name's not going to be remembered. And then starting off with your own business, they don't give a shit. Like I, you know, like, Hey, you realize I was uh, featured on USA today with my salary at, as a one of 140 people in the entire world of, as a head strength coach at division one level. Uh, which is very elite, like about to get a big raise too, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We did pretty well my last year there. I walked away on my own terms. It wasn't like I was walk- leaving with my tail between my legs, and they didn't care. They didn't care. In fact, they had very little bandwidth of what that actually meant and how that actually re- involves them. You know, mostly just like, are you close? Do you have showers? And does this kind of like check some boxes from <laughs> what I'm looking for from an exercise experience? But Oh man, I don't really give a shit if you have multiple master's degrees and you have unloaded unlimited amount of experience. Like it just really doesn't matter. So you have to start again from from nothing, and you have to approach each single every single day of like I got to earn it and I got to earn respect and I got to build myself up. Which you know, honestly, Joe, like I think as I look back, like I think it's the willingness to embrace. Like man, you, you're only as good as what you're doing for the person in front of you. You know, so if you start a podcast and like you just you're just dead air and you just suck at conversation. No one's going to listen to you. They don't give a shit. Like zero downloads is a great indicator. If you need to improve your podcast, you know, and like, do you have good conversations? Can you connect to people? Like, you know what I mean? Like every new first step, you know, it's like if I was going to do any DIY projects, which, you know, like shout out to my wife who has very little faith that I can do anything around the house, but I'm the same way. I'm going to be bad for a while. Yeah. My wife has zero, zero faith. I have like all these great ideas. She's like, you couldn't do that. Like, why would you say that? Like, Either way, like, I'm going to give it a shot. Yeah, how do you know? Yeah, yeah, how do you know? Like, I'm capable and competent in other areas. But, again, like, that beginner's mindset and that approach to being humble and, fuck, man, no one should really give you the benefit of the doubt until you earn it, you know? And that's, I think that's a great motto, which I've approached in my life. So I appreciate you uh, saying those kind of words. You're, you're right on the money. My, my, my mother always said, you know, he's, he's, he's a nice young man, but he's not very handy. He's not mechanical, you know? And I'm like... Why do you have to add that in? I don't understand. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, thank you again for the time. And uh, yeah, like uh, I look forward to seeing this next year for you, man. It's going to be exciting. It'll be interesting learning something every day and uh, learning a new process or a new way of looking at things. And, and it's it's exciting. Yeah. Hell yeah, man. Awesome, man.